Hey guys, we are back. Welcome back to another episode of Vertical Momentum. Welcome back to VM Nation, guys. Thank you so much. This is going to be a fun episode with my friend David. We're going to be talking about why do some people quit in the second half and why do some people speed up in the second half. And, and we'll talk about that in a minute, but I want to thank our sponsors. First, Our first sponsor is OVF, Operation Veteran Freedom. They there's a, it's, it's a group that actually helps veterans that are struggling when they get out of the military. They actually help you if you want to get into business, if you want to start a business, they actually help you start your own business. So definitely check out Operation Veteran Freedom. They're on Facebook. They're everywhere. And then my second sponsor is me. We just came out with our brand new coffee called Vertical Momentum. It's ass kicking coffee. If you love coffee with a kick, some, you know, a lot of times you got to drink coffee, four or five cups. This one's going to kick your ass the first cup. And it also tastes amazing. And the great thing about this coffee is 100% of the proceeds go to help veterans that are struggling with homelessness and PTSD. So, guys, if you ever get, if you love some coffee with a mission, check out Vertical Momentum Coffee, where we're actually making a difference in this world. Uh, guys, this is going to be a fun episode. My friend David is about to drop his new book. I think drops Monday on Martin Luther King Day. I can't wait to talk about his book. But he's been a veteran. He's now he's kicking ass in the civilian sector. So I'm just glad to have him on. David, my brother, what's going on? You, you're the man, Richard. Uh, anxious to talk to you for a little bit and uh, see how this goes for us. Uh, excited for you giving me a little bit of time and excited about the, the shows you put out. Always great information. So thanks for having me. Oh, it's, it's my pleasure. And, you know, I love my veterans and I'll always do anything for my veterans. So, first of all, where did you come from? Where did you grow up? And what kind of little boy was David? Yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, I, I born and raised here in San Antonio. I'm retired here now, semi-retired uh, uh, after uh, those couple of careers uh, back in my hometown. You know, moved back here uh, almost as soon as I could. You know, mom and dad were getting older and stuff like that. Wanted to be here for that. Uh, and, uh, uh, you know, grew up in the inner city, you know, uh, dad worked, mom stayed home and raised the family until the youngest one, uh, got into school. Then that's when she got her driver's license and, uh, started driving and, you know, uh, had her work in life. Uh, dad always worked and often worked two jobs. He was a, uh, a barber on the side forever. And I just kept growing that. So, I mean, we, uh, very modest, but uh, we didn't know it. I mean, we had everything we wanted and thought we knew that's how it happens to all of us, right? Uh, so you know, blessed that I had that. I'm the second oldest out of five, I have four sisters. So, uh, I, I guess the story I'll tell there is those four slept in the big bedroom and I had my own room. There's a little bit of the uh, male uh, Mexican culture in there, I guess, right? Where uh, they gave it to me that way. Uh, Did you ever get into the bathroom with four sisters? Uh, well, you know, I'm sure, you know, I'd have to let them tell you, you know, I guess uh, the, the biggest story I can tell you there is, you know, I used to work in a grocery store, the local HEB, uh, all through uh, high school and college. And uh, we'd have to work overnight stocking shelves and uh, then uh, get off and go to school the next day. And so I'd come home exhausted after school and you know, half the time fall asleep in class and half the time fall asleep at home. 
And so the two younger ones always had a task for mom to make sure I woke up on time. But I'm one of those that wakes up uh, startled, you know, and so I, I'd scare everybody. So uh, the funny part is they, they would get a wet washcloth, stand at the door and throw it at my face uh, to, to get me to wake up. So, uh, you know, they're always there for me. Now, did you play sports in high school? I didn't play in high school. I played band. I was a saxophone uh, guy, and uh, I, I wasn't the biggest guy either, so uh, that probably worked out. Uh, in fact, if you, you fast forward from graduating high school in 77 to when I was at the Naval Post Grad School in 87, uh, playing flag football, the uh, Navy Marine guys against the Army and Air Force guys having our mock you know, backyard Army-Navy game. I broke my neck in that game. So good thing I didn't play uh, high school sports earlier, right? <laughs> that now, was susceptible. So you you joined the military. Uh, what branch did you join? And it was then Army. Uh, the school we had in town here was the uh, – uh, a lot of universities here, but the one I went to was Trinity University, and they hosted the uh, ROTC back then. And uh, I had a couple of scholarships out of high school but were running out of money. Uh, I was racquetball buddies with the ROTC instructors and uh, a double E electronics engineering major, and they needed that kind of stuff. And so they uh, talked me into going for a three-year scholarship and carried me from there. So talk to me about your recruiting story, because I love to hear everybody's recruiting story. What was yours like? Like how I got, well, it's like I said, I mean, uh, it was, uh, we were in school, it was uh, 78 to 81, we were those, uh, college years and uh, freshman year, everybody had to punch a certain curricular activity. And so uh, there was a lot of money in the Rothschild department during the Reagan buildup years after the Carter years in the seventies. And so uh, they always had fun money. So you do the one hour class a week and they teach you one of the you know tactical skills, right? Orienteering or canoeing or rappelling, you know, something like that during the one hour class. And then, you know, one week in a month, you'd go out for a big barbecue in the hill country or the lakes and, uh, and practice those skills. So it was, it was always a lot of fun. Uh, and uh, while I really didn't understand San Antonio was a military town back then, uh, everybody else did. And, you know, I fit in with the crowd. I always had fun. And, you know, you know that joke that sometimes they think people are following you out of curiosity. Uh, they might have confused that for leadership, you know. And so when they heard uh, I was running out of money, I was going to have to drop out for a while. They just kind of, you know, worked me on the racquetball court. And, you know, you know Dave, it's a, it's a four-year commitment. You know, you like it, you stay. You don't like it, you punch out. But uh, you know the story. If, you, if you're going to drop out of school now to try to make the money, you know, the likelihood of coming back and being successful goes down. And so we'd rather you did it that way. And you know, I'm glad I did. It kind of changed my life. So now what job did you take in the military? Well, I was commissioned as a signal officer. They owned communication electronics. And of course, I had an electronics engineering degree. Uh, and uh, it was really kind of unique because I, I never really did tactical time. Uh, my first duty station was at, uh, at Aberdeen Proving Ground. And that was the testing center for all the new you know, weapon systems and stuff like that. So there were plenty of guys there that knew how to test the powertrains and track pads and, you know, that kind of stuff. But now you had computers on board the, uh, the weapon systems and uh, you had to, you know, uh, do all the variable analysis for, you know, the computer solutions. 
the, the rifling of a versus unrifling 105 to 120 millimeter round, uh, stuff like that. So heavy electronics. So, you know, that became my thing. Um, you know, I went from, uh, I tested the first production uh, M1 tank off the production line, you know, against the spec. So you had to know that system real well. Uh, now, the uh, funny uh, thing about that is, I was actually one of the first armor crewmen to ever be on the XM1. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, I mean, we crossed paths there somewhere probably. Yeah. Right? And, uh, you know, uh, uh, after that, they came out with the M1A1 and we were doing the developmental test. And of course, that was even tougher because now you had new new rounds, new 120 millimeter smoothbore gun, different ballistic solutions. So, uh, I, I think, you know, that was an 81 to 82 kind of thing. Uh, and, and I think that until, you know, the uh, early 90s, when we went to Desert Storm, even though I was a comm guy, I probably fired more uh, 120 millimeter rounds than any armor officer, you know. Uh, uh, so just an incredible experience that went from the weapon system to then the, the turret electronics and then the test systems form and then the training systems form. So. Spent a lot of time with Hughes Aircraft in L.A. and uh, a lot of time with the training uh, systems folks uh, down in Orlando. And uh, carried me three years of that testing time. And then the fourth year, we had a uh, up-and-comer, a guy that ended up retiring three-star, that took that activity, made it into a separate 06 command, and he needed a company commander to kind of uh, do that leadership. And so he pulls me in and says, uh, uh, hey, I think you're the guy. And so I got my command time before my career course and, you know, just one break after another, like that kind of uh, took me real quick uh, through all the opportunities that came to me in the army. So how many total years did you do? Um, 15, 15 years, one month, 22 days. Right. Uh, but who's counting? Yeah. But who's counting. Right. Uh, so, I mean, all my civilian friends get a kick out of that, but that's the way we do it in the military. Right. So uh, what, what was the decision to get out at 15 years? Well, I mean, there, were, there were some skeletons in the closet, but the key thing was I had been promoted early to major, gone to command staff college, uh, and they were giving me a little cool off time down in Orlando, but the rest of my life was going to be uh, D.C. and New Jersey, uh, where all the acquisition and modernization was taken from. Uh, they gave me that cool off time in Orlando, so I was living in my daughter's school district, you know, I uh, just felt that for our family, me, I'd always been in and out of D.C., but never had to live there. Uh, and I just thought uh, that wasn't the right thing. The Army had started cutting back through all the years and stuff. And so since I was early to major, I was being considered early for 05. And so in that year, it was a, a selective 15-year retirement in lieu of 05. And it worked out good for the Army, too, in a way, because... For my Signal Corps guys, you know, they were losing billets to guys like me doing acquisition or joint service or instead of core tactical signal stuff. So uh, when when I decided to punch out, uh, I uh, the, 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 the assignment guy said, well, do this. You know, the board convened September 1st. Wait till after that. Send me the app uh, and I'll keep it in the desk drawer and. Uh, you know, maybe when you come out on the list, you'll change your mind. But uh, the mechanics were that it actually went to the acquisition guys, to the signal guys instead of the acquisition guys. So even though it was in September, they approved it within two weeks uh, since we were in the middle of the board. 
for a June retirement the next year because they wanted to get one more core signal guy in at the 05. So uh, uh, just worked out well. So now for me, you know, I did 23. I, I, my goal was to hit 30, but because of getting hurt on duty, I couldn't. So I didn't go out the way I wanted to go out. And the day that they told me I was no longer Sergeant Kaufman, it totally destroyed me because that's who I was. That was my, you know, I wasn't Richard. I was Sergeant Kaufman. And when I was no longer Sergeant Kaufman, I didn't know who I was. And it really scared me literally to death. And so I had to reimagine my life, reimagine myself and reinvent myself. What was your transitioning like, even though you planned to transition out? Um, well, and, and that planning was really quick because the window was small and, you know, you didn't, one didn't think that way. There was no such thing as retiring early back then. I mean, you did your 2022 and stuff. Uh, but, you know, all my service had been a little bit unique because I had not been the classic tactical route. So uh, uh, before I got to Orlando, I was in Europe after the command in the general staff college. You know, I was there with all the guys that came out of Desert Storm 1. They were just oozing the, the tactics and the doctrine. And so, you know, very educational for me. But, you know, once again, theoretical, right? Uh, and uh, uh, so... Uh, they sent me to Europe and we were modernizing the command centers in Europe. They were still at UCOM and USERA. So they were still had old technology on them. And, you know, the, the way we operated was just kind of changing. So we modernized and connected all the C4 systems from all the services in them, put up a CNN broadcast and all of them and stuff. There was a little more high end. Uh, the core system I was writing on was leading edge. We had uh, jet propulsion lab guys as the, as the developers uh, working for me. Uh, and so it was uh, uh, something to talk about. So uh, in that world, they had a magazine called uh, an organization called AFSIA International, Armed Forces Communication Electronics Association. I had a, uh, uh, an old, old boss that on his 05 schooling was doing uh, uh, time with the magazine. So I reached out to him trying to publicize what we're doing. So they had a couple of articles in that publication about the state of the technology, what we were doing uh, software and system wise uh, to modernize that stuff. Well, it turns out, you know, one of the guys that was also writing in those uh, volumes uh, was a guy named John Everly. He was talking, he was a big cab guy. Uh, and so he was writing about train like you fight and building the simulation world to fit those kinds of uh, decision making and and, uh, and processes. So uh, he was key to getting me hired. I'd always been, you know, tied more to the industry side than I was tied to the tactical side. Uh, and so it was uh, uh, probably took longer than I wanted because I was nervous just going through a transition. But uh, I was a quick hire. Uh, those were the days when, you know, every 05 was retiring and would roll over into the defense industry side and uh, pick it up. And so it was almost uh, uh, a motivation to uh, retire early and not be a, you know, another uh, dime a dozen retired 05 looking for a follow on job. And so uh, I went to work for the company was SAIC science applications, international corporation back then. And it's a different company today, but it still exists back then. It was, you know, uh, very, uh, 
uh, secretive, not well known. Uh, and uh, uh, but it was employee owned, had a great culture, all the bleeding edge technology they were working on. In fact, my days in the command center, it was a joint system. So you'd go to meetings in the Pentagon and you'd have the Army, Air Force, Navy, all the different services there. And every one of the military guys had a bunch of SAIC guys whispering in their ear behind their back, right? Uh, giving them pros and cons. And uh, tell, uh, so my impression of SAIC from that era was, well, you know, those guys are messing it up. They're fighting different ways instead of trying to get us to work together. Uh, but, you know, what I learned is, you know, you you support your customer, right? So they each uh, were honorable in that respect. So worked at a great company and started doing uh, uh, training simulation kind of work. Uh, more as a subject matter expert, knowing Army doctrine than I was a technologist. Uh, now, in, in the later part of my career, um, I spent a lot of time in M1 simulators. Yeah. Uh, and I'm a fire trainer. Huh? The conduct of fire trainer. Yep. And yep. for me, it was a godsend. Uh, I, this way, I didn't have to be out in the desert heat. So it's pretty air conditioner. I enjoyed my time in the simulators. Yeah. I think, and I think it was great because you can go through so many different scenarios, you know, during an eight hour period than you would ever be able to do during a two week FTX. Yeah. I, I, I think so. Uh, I ended up being the test officer on that. That was done down in Orlando. And the developer was the old GE that was in Daytona. So spent a lot, a year in Orlando, Daytona. So, you know, wasn't tactical time again, right? Uh, but the irony was, is that the 06 uh, that I initially worked for at Aberdeen over the years, the four years had retired, was now the lead test guy with SAIC uh, on the UCOP. So I was a test director and my old boss was my counterpart there. And so, uh, I mean, is that a blessing or what? Yeah. Your paths crossed so many times with winners, you know. Now, so now you retired a second time, correct? Yeah, I did. I mean, uh, uh, you can't retire after 15 years on a military uh, paycheck and expect that to carry you, yeah. you know. Uh, so, I, you know, I didn't even get 50 percent. It was reduced from there uh, for the five years early. So uh, but it was, you know, like I said, I was. My last assignment, I was actually in the Lockheed Martin plant in Orlando uh, and uh, driving their long-term R&D so it matched what the Army requirements would be. Uh, and in fact, some of those systems are still, you know, what, what helps protect against like ballistic missiles and, you know, Guam and South Korea and stuff. Uh, back then, they were uh, uh, concepts and today they're systems. Uh, but yeah, I went to work for that company and it was a great company and it, you know, uh, 15 years and uh, 10 different jobs. They uh, ended up uh, 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 moving me back home to San Antonio to do some uh, healthcare modernization. Then I turned that into state and local work and then uh, stood up a, a information assurance and security uh, business practice down here. Uh, and uh, just, you know, great, great stuff. Great so stuff. Then you know, how did you, like for me, it was, uh, I just, I, I wrote my book um, just to get my story out there and maybe to help other people that are struggling with what I went through with addiction and stuff like that. 
what was your thought process? Was it a or did did you always know that you had a book in you, or did this just something that came about? I had I had never thought about it and did not see it. So this book, Impact Leadership, is actually the second book. But uh, what happened is, you know, I uh, I retired the SAC work when they, you know, went through transformation and uh, gave me an early out package. Uh, it had it had made me a millionaire because the company was so successful and it was employee owned, and so we all participated in that. Uh, and uh, uh, as I was transitioning, uh, I mean, it was comfortable because I was given my time as a board director on a big credit union and uh, a couple years before an old MBA buddy, uh, old uh, former Navy guy, uh, turned me on to a travel club. He knew I liked the travel and stuff. And it turned out that uh, it had a network marketing back into it. And I just kind of loved all that stuff. Uh, so uh, did it that way, but it was actually through the network marketing network. You know, it brings you know, the best and brightest, it brings all kinds of people because there's no ceilings, there's no barriers to entry or anything like that. And so uh, uh, the the gal I ended up uh, working with was a girl named Kara Buchanan, and uh, she had had her long history. And uh, through her, I met the guy that became the top income earner in the company. And... Uh, 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 he had a system and a publishing company that made that fairly easy to do. So in 2012, I participated in co-authoring a, a book through that system. Uh, and so that book is The Art and Science of Success. Uh, it was a volume two. There ended up being like eight volumes to it because it was very heavily subscribed. Uh, but it was an easy way to publish. And you know, I had one idea what that thing would do for me. Uh, but, you know, it was really kind of set up to now you become the big uh, bookseller and lecturer and uh, on the stage. And that, that just wasn't what I was you know, looking for. So I didn't do too much with it. But what it allowed me to do is uh, to do book signings and donate the money to organizations that are always looking for help. So it paid off for a while. Uh, and did that was, again, it was, you know, the, the network that I run with. You know, opportunities fall in my lap and I jumped at it. It wasn't so much that I had it in my head. And I spent a career as a defense contractor and I could write. So I was always writing proposals to try to win new work and uh, develop new systems and stuff. So it wasn't a leap to, to do that. And, uh, you know, when I look back, I thought, well, you know, I kind of got a story, you know, uh, uh, stumbled in the army, you know, didn't plan to do it. Uh, Work for great guys that you know took me you know big places. Uh, uh, had a great uh, bunch of people I worked for in a, a leading edge company, uh, and and had some good success from it. You know, uh, and so um, uh, I thought you know I got a story to tell on the the concept for all that stuff. You know, the the leadership training you get after that is all about you know what are you doing to help somebody else. You know, that's the real secret to success is not how much you help yourself, but you know, what are you doing and giving to help the next guy? And so that was the spirit that drew me into writing the first book uh, back in 2012. Uh, there's a whole different story about this one. So, 
So what were some of, for people that have read your past books, what were some of the um, reviews? What did people say about your previous book? Well, I mean, I'm, I'm fairly an open book, you know, kind of person anyway. So I don't know that there were too many secrets in there. You know, people learned, you know, okay, I had a bad car wreck in, uh, in uh, college and, you know, could have punched the ticket right there, lucked out and, you know, oh, I broke my neck and that could have been a lot worse. So there were little things that people found out. Uh, but um, uh, while there were, there were, you know, probably lessons that came out of that, uh, the real gold mine, and the same thing with this one, is that there's 30 other people that tell a story in this book. So while I've got my story and it's the lead chapter and stuff like that, uh, and it, 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 you know, where the first book took you to, you know, I'm, I went millionaire and retired a second career. And, you know, we're okay. Started network marketing. This one kind of picks it up from there and tells the problem with, you know, uh, the, the dead ending that you get into, right? Uh, 60 years old now. And, you know, I was kind of comfortable where I'm at and, you know, lacking motivation to do something else because, I was in a comfort zone. And so uh, uh, this one picks up that story. So how do we find you? I know when we were talking earlier, you said you had um, a Linktree account. So how do we find you? How do we get in touch with you? How can we support your mission and pick up your brand new book that comes out on Martin Luther King Day? Okay. Yeah. So, you know, I, I have a link tree account because it's easier to, you know, aggregate everything there. So you can uh, go there and get to Amazon, get to all my social media, uh, see everything else. That link tree account is uh, L I K N T R dot E E. So like link tree uh, and then forward slash David S. Velasquez. And it's, you know, it's in all my profiles in all the social media sites. Uh, it's also got my email address there. Uh, and so uh, that's probably the easiest uh, to do. Again, it's L-I-K-L-I-N-K-T-R dot E-E, the link tree forward slash David S. Velasquez. All right, guys. So definitely pick out his book, pick up his book. I know I want an autographed copy. Uh, I can't wait to I can't wait to get it. You got it. So I just want to say thank you, David, for coming on. I appreciate you. Guys, make sure you check out his books. Make sure if you're looking for a mentor or a coach, I'm sure that he'd be more than willing to reach out and talk to you and hang out with you. So I just want to say thank you guys for everything. Thank you, um, Vertical Momentum. You guys are truly amazing. Have an amazing week. And remember, Vertical Momentum, the only way to go is but. Love you guys. Catch you on the flip. Thank you for joining us today. Please hit subscribe and share. Please feel free to leave us a comment.